Hi, Nat Doig here. Just to let you know that you don't have to have listened to the last two episodes of the podcast, The Black Magic Church and The Ghosts of St Mary's, to listen to this bonus episode. But this episode might be more enjoyable if you have already listened to those previous ones, as they explain the history and ghost stories associated with the ruined church. So if you want to go away and listen to them, go ahead. I'll still be here when you've finished. Okay, ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to a Weird in the Wade bonus episode. Bonus episodes are a chance for me to take a deeper dive into a story dig up new information and witnesses or record new footage out in the field. Today's bonus episode includes recordings made just before Christmas at St Mary's Old Church, Clop Hill. On a wintry morning, I visited the church with a field recorder and microphone and recorded my impressions. I discovered ancient symbols and newer markings on the church walls. I was startled by birds and spooked by shadows and strange noises on the wind. Find out more on this bonus episode of Weird in the Wade. It's the 18th of December, 2023, just a couple of weeks ago. I've been wandering around the ruined church at Clop Hill for a couple of hours. It's a grey morning with fine high clouds which occasionally thin to expose a weak and watery sun. The skeletal winter trees tremble in the gusting wind some of them creaking and whining as if complaining to one another. There are birds, jackdaws, crows, and a few reticent songbirds who occasionally weave around this hilltop a chilly winter's lament. I've recorded my walk up to the church and a detailed description of my surroundings as I walked around the inside and outside of the ruin. I sit on the step of the church, looking out across the countryside towards Chicksands Priory, the old pilgrimage route. There is smoke snaking up from a nearby valley. The fields are a murky green or brown. I listen to the sounds that reach me on this hilltop, distant traffic from below, occasional sheep bleating, and at one point a horse's neigh cuts through the wind. 
I've not explored the north end of the churchyard yet, and it's in this north-east direction that my eyes keep turning. There are still graves standing in the corner. These tombs must not have been moved when the churchyard was levelled and landscaped to make it more difficult for vandals to desecrate the graves. I wander over to these last few tombstones left in situ. They date from the 19th century. They are hunched and huddled, ivy-riddled, below evergreen shrubs of yew and holly. This corner of the graveyard feels different to the rest. It is more hidden, with pockets of shadows cast by the trees. There are places to hide. I think I hear a squirrel skittering through the dry leaves heaped on the ground, but my attention keeps being drawn back to the path, old church path, that runs alongside the churchyard. I find another entrance to it, just north of the main entrance. I turn back around to face the church. I've not approached the ruin from this direction before. On both my previous visits, I entered from the south. Now I approach the ruin from the northeast, looking straight into its gaping open east end. I assume it must have been a window once. It's where the altar must have been, but now it's a huge door. I wonder if this is how the rumour that the church was built the wrong way round came about, because churches don't have altars in front of doors, do they? Altars are usually below large windows. The archway must previously have housed a window, but now has been extended downwards to make an open doorway. It's then that I see it. Just for a fleeting moment, my brain glitches, my heart lurches, and in an instant, I am alert. The hairs on the back of my neck prickling, a wave of cold washes down my back. I think I see a figure, a huge, looming figure with dark legs, wearing boots, but a pale top, a white face and hair. In the doorway of the church, the giant stands. It is huge, almost as high as the doorway itself. I blink and realise it is a trick of the light and the coloured blotches and shapes on the church wall. The dark boots are just a tiny bricked up doorway I looked at earlier. Pareidolia. My brain making solid some random patterns. I'm used to this, being visually impaired. I often mistake what I see or I don't see what I'm supposed to, but it's no good. Knowing that it's a trick of the light and of patterns in the bricks doesn't make my heart beat any slower. My amygdala at the base of my brain is on high alert. I've tripped a switch in my nervous system. I'm ready to fight or run for it. I take some photographs of the church and try to calm myself down. I walk back towards the ruin, slowly. I will go through that door where I thought I saw a giant. I will prove to myself that I am not scared. This place is not frightening. I am not that nine-year-old girl who was afraid of the devil. Why did I have to think that? Why think about the devil, Nat? Then I hear it on the wind, drifting towards me. Is it chanting? Is it 
singing. Then the sound falters. It becomes something different. Discordant. Is it pigs? This is a different type of fear. Not the spine tingling of fear of mistaking bricks for a giant. Not a fear that I can explain away. Suddenly, my mind is dark. My stomach lurches. I am stuck. Not fight, nor flight. I freeze. The ground beneath the church is open and black in my mind's eye. I see people hooded, shadows slinking down into that pit below the ruin. Light skitters from torches, flames flickering in the wind, guttering, and then they go out. From somewhere beneath the church, deep in the hill, there is a shudder and a thud. But most of all, I feel a buzzing around me, the air tense with it, an unseen but felt presence, hovering, smothering the daylight. I shake my head, this is nonsense, there is no one else up here with me. The sound on the wind was just pigs, maybe pigs grunting and a distant traffic sound from the road below. I blink. The church looks completely empty, cold, still, quiet. The noise I heard must have just been pigs grunting and a distant motorbike, maybe. Not a motorbike. Why did I think of a motorbike? What about that phantom motorcyclist seen here? Then I remind myself that the phantom motorcyclist doesn't actually have a bike with him. No one hears a bike. That's why they think he's a phantom. Then I tell myself I don't really believe in ghosts anyway. I'd like to believe. I'd like to know what it is people see and experience. But I don't have any answers. But it wasn't ghosts I sensed just then when I heard some pigs grunting in a distant motorbike. I didn't think it was ghosts. No, I thought it was the devil. I glare now at the church. But I'm really glaring into the past, glaring all the way back into the 1980s, glaring at the adults and the children who told me about the devil, who said the devil was loose in Biggleswade, who told me a portal to hell had been opened below this church at Clop Hill. I glare and I glower even further back into the past to the people who came to this churchyard not for an innocent thrill or dare, but those who came to destroy and to damage, to desecrate the graves of the long dead, who disturbed the land and upset Reverend Barker and so many others. I stare them all down and I say out loud, I am not afraid of you humans, nor the devil. And I march towards the church and I sit back down on its step in defiance. Welcome to this bonus episode of Weird in the Wade. And Happy New Year. I hope you enjoyed that dramatic introduction of me spooking myself whilst I was up at St Mary's Old Church. I'd managed over two hours of wandering about the site by myself without getting into the slightest bit scared. 
but I wasn't recording when I thought I saw the giant in the church or heard chanting, which was most probably pigs and distant traffic. I did record some footage afterwards as I made sense of what I'd seen and heard, and you'll get to hear that shortly. I hope those of you celebrating Christmas or other midwinter or midsummer festivals have had a relaxing time over the last couple of weeks and are ready for 2024. Before I play for you some of my recordings from my visit to St Mary's, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what's coming up for the podcast this year. 2023 was a bit of a surprise for me. I started it thinking about how I could work more with my photography. This was after having my photographs featured in an exhibition of visually impaired artists at King's College London in December 2022. Little did I know that by May I'd be working on Weird in the Wade. I'm very pleased with the direction 2023 took and I intend to continue with the podcast you'll hopefully be pleased to learn. I have planned the following stories for this year. I'm going to cover the ghosts of a notorious Bedford highwayman, or is it in fact two highwaymen haunting Bedford? As well as looking at some Biggleswade highwayman and footpaths, this story was requested by a listener and it is fascinating. I have a tale to tell that I've been researching for over a decade about a Bedfordshire mother and daughter accused of witchcraft in the 17th century. In the 1990s, Betty Puttick linked their tale to a ghost story as well, which just adds another layer to the mysterious and tragic goings-on. I have at least one other Biggleswade pub haunting to investigate – I'm determined to find out more about these mysterious tunnels beneath Biggleswade. There's other Biggleswade ghost stories too. The headless ghost of Crab Lane, the haunted telephone exchange and a housing estate built on a burial ground all to cover. I'm hoping to cover the story of Chicksands Priory and its tragic phantom nun. I'm planning to interview one of Bedfordshire's foremost paranormal investigators for this episode. And then there's the village of Odell and its devil-clawed church door and its phantom earthquakes of the 19th century. I'm also hoping to go on a wander away from the Wade to cover a mysterious story my dad remembers from 1960s Surrey. And finally, I have set myself the challenge to spend the night in a haunted house and, of course, I'll let you know all about it on an episode of the podcast. So it's going to be a busy year, but I'd love to hear your ideas as well. Is there a story you'd like me to investigate or cover? Please do get in touch. You can email the show at weirdinthewade at gmail.com and that's weird in the wade all one word at gmail.com or contact the show on social media we're on twitter or x instagram threads and blue sky as at weird in the wade some of you have asked how you can support weird in the wade and have even asked if you can get hold of any merch for the show 
Keep listening to find out more about merchandise later in the year. But the ways you can support the show now are by sharing the podcast with friends or on social media, rating and reviewing us where you listen. It really helps other people to find Weird in the Wade. And the show does have a Ko-fi page, which is a site where you can buy the podcast a coffee or two. The link is in the show notes, but it is ko-fi.com forward slash weird in the wade. And thank you to everyone who has supported me this year on Ko-fi and especially those who supported in the last month. Thank you, Fiona, Liz and Anna your support. But let's get back to Clophill Old Church and my visit there in December. I'll be honest with you, before I set out, the thing that I was most worried about was whether the bus would turn up or not. Central Bedfordshire has one of the worst bus services in the country. Buses to Clophill from Biggleswade are every three hours, but they often run late or not at all. Being visually impaired and so not able to drive, I'm used to the inconsistencies of public transport and spent 25 years campaigning for more accessible and inclusive transport options. And on Monday the 18th of December, the buses did not let me down. It was such a relief. As well as recording audio at the church, I took many photographs. And if you go to weirdinthewade.blog, You'll be able to follow my journey through the photographs I took that day. There's a link to the blog in the show description as well. The first recording you're going to hear is of me walking up Old Church Path, which is a lane leading up to St Mary's. In places, the hill is moderately steep for Bedfordshire, but generally it's a gentle climb. After some initial cottages flanking the lane, it gives way to farmers' fields and shallow woodland. Remember, it's along this path that UK Decay, the local punk band, saw a mysterious white horse, where many witnesses have reported seeing hooded processions of monk-like figures, and where large, non-native cats have been spotted. So I'm here on Old Church Path, making my way up to St Mary's Old Church. It's a very still December morning. It's not too cold. There's a very weak, watery sun peeking through the white clouds. Um, It feels very peaceful. I've seen two cars go past that were heading up to the eco lodges. That's the only traffic that's allowed up here now. Um, When I first set off, I could hear what I thought were some voices and children even and then I realised as I got nearer that it wasn't it wasn't children or voices it was this creaky tree which I've been trying to capture on uh, on the recording for you I'm not going to get too close to it because I can see which tree it is and it's completely fallen and is leaning against another is leaning against another tree I'm hoping that this is capturing the creakiness It's almost like the trees are talking to each other because there's quite a few of them creaking.
As I continued up the path, I reached the place where it seems likely that the mysterious white horse was seen back in 1978 by UK Decay. I'm at the part in the path where I think is the bend that UK Decay saw the horse just before this bend, the mysterious white horse, and as it trotted off away from them, uh, they followed and it disappeared. And actually on this bit of the path, the trees are very, very thick. And back then the hedges would have been really high. It wasn't sort of managed and looked after like it is now. So yes, I can see why they were so surprised that they then couldn't see where the, the horse had gone. So anyway, I'm going to make my way up to the church and I'll record uh, my thoughts when I'm up there. See you then. Here, I give you a tour of the church, disturbing some inhabitants of the ruin. So I'm up here now at St Mary's Old Church. It is very different to how it was when I visited in May. The trees are skeletal, the grass is short, there's lots of molehills. <laughs> it's still got a stunning view of the countryside. Some of it looks quite, in the distance, looks quite smoky. There are birds flying and the church does look more atmospheric in uh, this kind of light. So I'm just going to head inside the church and we're just in the doorway. The doorway where there were birds in here. The doorway where the hooded monk was seen and people have carved their initials into the stones and they've been carved in here quite deep and I don't know how recent or old these are but they're just people's initials by the looks of it. Um, it looks like there's been some other marks scratched an arrow pointing upwards which I'm guessing could be interpreted as a magical symbol. I'm now going to stand under the tower so you can book in advance and have a tour of the tower. Um, it's got a metal gate in front of it which is quite sad really um, just to stop people from going in there um, and obviously that has been a problem in the past so it's understandable. There's uh, jackdaws here and um, yeah when you get up to the top that you're you kind of stand in a cage at the top of the tower so I don't think I'd want to do it because I don't like the thought of being in that cage <laughs> at the top. I'll take some photographs and put them on the blog. I'm just looking to see if I can see any this would have been the bit under the tower I can see more people have scratched their initials into the um, into the stone. Down this end it looks all a bit damp and there's a pile of leaves in the corner which is quite atmospheric. I'm just going to walk down to the other end. So now I'm walking towards what would have been the altar, um, away from the tower. Um, there's a gravel path now that you can walk along. So I'm now walking out of the church, up the steps at the end and looking out over the fields again. And I can see all the sm misty smokiness coming up from one of the valleys. Um, I'm guessing somebody's got a bonfire. Um, but I will take some photographs.
it is very still and very peaceful um it doesn't feel sinister to me um certainly not in the church i'm gonna have a walk around the grounds and see what they feel like it was as I wandered around the church inspecting the walls for marks and engravings that I came across the crosses marked on the remaining plaster of the walls. These crosses featured in the news reports in 1963 describing rituals and desecration of the site. We've then got a bit here that looks like it's been plastered or it's still got plaster on it from when the church would have had plaster all over the walls and not the bare brick inside. But it could be something that's been put up there to try and cover up the damage that was done. I'm not sure. Yeah, it just got very windy there, so I had to pause for a second. But yeah, if I carry on walking along here and you've got moss now growing on the inside of the church in the crevices. Oh, here's one of the signs. I'll take a photograph of this. It's, um, I think it's a Maltese cross. It's in red. It looks to me like it's old ochre kind of red. Um, I know there's a lot of speculation about it. Was it added there by people that had come into the church? But they're really common signs that were painted on the plaster and things like that of churches in the past. Um, I mean, medieval times and then got covered, whitewashed over when it was the Reformation. So maybe it's a very old um, Maltese cross because I'm not aware of anybody <laughs> using Maltese crosses as like magic symbols in that way unless unless we're now going to say that the Knights Templar were here <laughs> so yeah I'm not sure it's quite crude the way it's been drawn I know the newspapers reported that it had been drawn in blood but I don't think it would look like it does today if that was the case at all um, but yeah, I'll take some photos of that and I'll share them on the blog. And I haven't spotted... Oh, here's another one. Okay, so the, the, the Maltese cross symbol has been drawn further down as well. And maybe this is new, now having a look at it. The circle and then with the red crosses in them. It is a It is a odd sign for someone to choose to paint on the on the walls. I'm only uh, aware of it being associated with the Maltese hospitalers and so the sort of Templars, the Knight Templars or the Knights Hospitalers. But I'm not going to go all Da Vinci Code on you. I don't know enough. So I'm just going to cross over to the other side and give a good inspection on this side. I continue my tour of the church, coming across a small bricked up door of grey brick this door will play a part later on when I become spooked. There's a bricked up doorway. I'm guessing it would have been one of the exits from the church and there's a bricked up window as well. Now, I don't know when that was bricked up because the bricks look quite uh, in keeping with the rest of the church. So maybe that window got bricked up during the sort of window tax times in the 18th century. So while the church was still in use. Um, and this little doorway, it's tiny. If I, it's about big enough for me to step through and I'm five foot two. Um, if you were any taller, you wouldn't be able to get through. But the bricks here are definitely new. So I'm not sure what they were bricking up and what was there, whether it was a door. But bear in mind that I am walking on a level now that's higher than the church original floor would have been. So from here, 
I'm standing by the window, and bear in mind this is where the sighting of Sophie's ghost was seen through this window, and it's about four foot, maybe four and a half foot off the ground. I can see over it, and I'm, like I said, five foot two. However, if I walk round the other side, I can sit on this wall that, that sit in the window. Sorry, it's got windy again, so I'm gonna go into the corner. So yes, on the other side, the ground has been um, built up to help stop the desecration of the graves. And when they sort of remodeled the whole of the uh, churchyard, so you can actually sit in that windowsill that's four and a half feet off the off the ground where I'm standing inside the church, but is probably only a couple of feet off the ground outside. Um, and I'm guessing that the level I'm standing on inside the church now is not ground level originally. It would have been slightly lower than this because I believe the windows were definitely higher. So, but though not by much, I'm guessing. Anyway, I'm going to walk around the other side of the church and um, I'll record some more for you later. So I'm just walking back into the church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the sound recorder recording. I'm going to take the mic off just leave it recording inside the church for a little while just to get a, an, an idea of, of what it's like and hopefully it won't get too windy in here there is a lovely bird singing at the minute I had high hopes for my field recorder that I left at the church as I went and wandered around the graveyard, but it was far too windy and I really only picked up the sound of gusts of wind, so unfortunately I wasn't able to use any of it. I did reflect on the atmosphere of the church though before I went exploring the graveyard. This was before I got spooked. So I've spent about 45 minutes wandering around the church and taking in the atmosphere up here which is still very peaceful very quiet um, it doesn't feel threatening to me I don't sense that dread or horrendous presence that other people have described when they visited here and I have had this place to myself all morning it's just me the birds um, it's funny how the birds come and go. Sometimes there's lots of birds singing and other times it's just maybe the odd crow that you hear. I noticed that if I was sat down and not moving, more of the birds came back. So it is like they're quite wary of people up here. So it does feel quite wild in that sense. But I do think there is a sad atmosphere to the church. And understandably, after everything that's happened to it and the people who have been affected by what happened here, Reverend Barker in the 1960s was clearly troubled by what happened to the church. But I'm not sure how much of the stories have affected the place and how much of it is our baggage that we bring with us.
So after reflecting on the peaceful but sad atmosphere of the site, I went exploring, as described at the start of the show, and got spooked. Here's my thoughts on the experience straight after it happened. I just spooked myself after being adamant that I wouldn't while I was here and genuinely believing that the church has a very peaceful and tranquil atmosphere. I went and spooked myself. (laughs) I went for a walk away from the church uh, to the north, uh, into the northeast corner of the churchyard and had a look at some of the gravestones there and then decided that I probably should try and make my way back down into Clop Hill. So I came back towards the church and as I was approaching the church from that angle, so the complete opposite direction to how you normally approach the church, um, so facing southeast, I had a, a flash of pareidolia where I saw what looked like a giant figure in the church, but it was quite clearly that little doorway and the markings on the walls that made me think it. So I took some photos and I know that's exactly what I saw and what startled me and yet that was it. Suddenly my hackles were up and I was spooked to the extent that as I was walking towards the church and taking photographs, which usually calms my nerves, um, I then thought I heard the sound of like chanting, very deep chanting but it also sounded like pigs (laughs) and then I thought well it probably is pigs the sheep farms are all around us actually the sheep it could have been a sheep um there was a horse neighing earlier um that's just an airplane going over but it's making quite an eerie sound standing in the tower and yeah it just spooked me so I stopped and I reminded myself that I am not afraid of just markings on a church wall and I do believe that this church has a lovely atmosphere that's very calm and tranquil and it's, you know, now a nature reserve. But (laughs) I then couldn't shake that feeling that there was something else here, not to do with the church, not to do with necessarily the graveyard but to do with people people that have been here and have wanted to frighten other people i think that's the atmosphere that i'm picking up on i'm picking up on the fact that humans have been here in the last 60 odd years trying to scare each other and some of them doing it not just for fun you know and maybe dabbling with things that terrifies them for a thrill but would also terrify me and me as a child so yeah just for one moment hearing that noise that sounded a bit like chanting or pigs (laughs) then and seeing what looked like a giant I suddenly was that eight or nine year old again he was terrified of the devil and and I know I stood up to my fears and I was like this is ridiculous and I marched over to the church and I'm now in the church and then I remembered what one of the uh, paranormal investigators had said that she felt that the churchyard had an atmosphere but in the church it felt safe and yet the figure that 
kicked off me feeling spooked, I thought I saw standing in the church. So it's <laughs> it's a bit of a paradox, really. Um, but yes, I came back into the church to record because it is obviously a lot quieter and out of the wind if I stand in the tunnel. Not the tunnel, the tower. <laughs> there isn't a tunnel. Actually, there are stories that there are tunnels. But maybe that's for another episode. Bedfordshire is full of tunnels. I think maybe most of England, uh, English towns believe that there are tunnels underneath them, but Bedfordshire seems to just absolutely love a tunnel. Um, so yes, there are rumours that there are tunnels running from here down into Clop Hill and other places, even to Chicksands, which would be quite a tunnelling feat as it's, you know, three miles away as the crow flies. Now, two weeks after my visit, I am struck by just how quiet it was up there. I didn't see another soul for the near three hours that I was exploring. Yet the recordings show that although the spot is isolated, the sounds from the village and farms below, the roads and the skies, it must be on Luton Airport's flight path, can all be clearly heard at times. It's that unique aspect of the church it's marooned from the village, but close enough to walk to with little effort. It's isolated, but so close to homes, farms and roads. It can be easily accessed, but you can be completely secluded whilst you're there. It's that unique aspect that lent itself to rituals and also, sadly, to the vandalism. On my visit, I also thanked those in the story of the church who are no longer with us, Reverend Barker, Sophia Mendham and Jenny Humberstone and the former villagers of Clop Hill. I hope I have done them justice in my storytelling. The church is well worth a visit, whether on a glorious sunny day like my first visit in May or at the turn of the year close to Yule as my last visit was. It's now a haven for wildlife and a beautiful place to explore. Yes, there is an indescribable atmosphere, but one I think created by humans through our deeds. Yes, there have been negative and harmful acts, such as vandalism and desecration of the dead, attempting to terrify and cause trouble. But there have also been positive deeds too, the quiet veneration at the spiritual site, curiosity and courtship, and now through efforts to preserve and conserve nature. St Mary the Virgin, Old Church of Clop Hill, is a complex site with a rich and disturbing history, but it is also a place of hope and gentle regeneration. We take our own baggage with us, when we visit, and maybe some visitors have left some of that baggage behind there too. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Weird in the Wade. Don't forget to check out the blog with the photographs from my visit. The next episode of Weird in the Wade is due out on Monday the 29th of January and is going to be all about the ghost of the highwayman, Black Tom. A highwayman so notorious, an area of Bedford became named after him and his grave. 
Sightings of his ghost span from the 1840s to the 1990s and possibly right into the 21st century. But who was this highwayman? And are there actually two Bedford robbers being remembered? One from the time of Henry III, who was so cruel and notorious, his punishment by death is one of the most gruesome I have ever read about. Is the second highwayman from the 18th century a Robin Hood figure, loved by the people of the area of the town that now bears his name? And why does Bigglesweyde have a particular association with notorious highwaymen like Shock Oliver? All will be revealed at the end of the month and the next episode of Weird in the Wade. Weird in the Wade was researched, written and presented by me, Nat Doig. Theme music is by Tess Savagir and all additional sound effects and music from Epidemic Sound. <laughs>